You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. One of the things that people don't understand, and I could do a whole message on it, I'm not going to do that, but I have notes on one message just on why sexual sin is sin. Why it's sin. I'll give you the most important one so at least you get a basic understanding as to why it's wrong. Because the marriage relationship is meant to typify the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church, his bride. As the world around us continues to move farther and farther away from acknowledging the sanctity of marriage, it can be easy to become rather flippant ourselves. However, as Pastor Danny will remind you in his message today, one of the reasons marriage should be held in such high regard is because of what it typifies. In his study, you'll learn that it's because of marriage representing the relationship of Christ and the church, sexual sin shouldn't be named among us as believers, lest we tarnish that image. Now here's Pastor Danny in Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of The Living Word. Just eating food sacrificed to an idol is not in itself sin. It was association with, relationships with, people who were offering food sacrifice to idols. And through a compromise in relationships, these relationships, people that believed in God but were not following the truth, and so people were led astray by these ungodly associations with people who believed in God but weren't Christians, and if they were Christians, they certainly weren't committed to Christ. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. That's different than the message to the church in Pergamum in that this church now has had some kind of knowledge from the Lord of their sin, those who had sinned, who had compromised in relationships and specifically gotten involved in sexual sin. And now God has given them time to repent and they are unwilling at this point to repent. How much time did he give them? Doesn't say. How much time will he give me? That's really a foolish question to ask, isn't it? You really want to play Russian roulette with God? So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Is that literal? I'm just going to leave it right as it is. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I'll repay each of you according to your deeds. 
Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. What does that mean? Well, the best I can gather is these people believing in God, part of the church, but follow the teaching of Jezebel, and part of her teaching is that you have a knowledge spiritually that other people don't have. And by your superior spiritual knowledge, you are justifying an immoral lifestyle and compromise. And there are people like that today in the church. And they say, you don't understand. You don't, you don't understand. No, I understand. <laughs> you don't understand. Morality doesn't change. Sexual sin has always been sin, and it always will be sin. And compromise has always been compromised, and it always will be compromised. I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. That could be a whole message in itself. Let me just give a quick exhortation based on that word. Only hold on to what you have until I come. If you have not been led astray, if you have not compromised, don't. But even for those who have, here's the encouraging final word. To him who overcomes, you haven't been led astray or you have been led astray, but now you're willing to repent. And either way, you'll overcome. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I'll give authority over the nations. Prophecy about Jesus, he'll rule them with an iron scepter. He'll dash them to pieces like pottery, and you'll rule and reign with him. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I'll also give him the morning star. That's a new day when the darkness is past. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So how do we divide this up? In probably every local church, and I want to be very specific here, every local church that believes in Jesus as the Messiah, that he's Jesus, God's Son, and he's the Son of God, uh, God the Son and the Son of God. He's God come in the flesh. He's the Savior of the world. He died on a cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. And churches that believe in the foundational doctrines of Christianity, There are probably some exceptions along the way. The church of Smyrna, for example, there was no rebuke for that church, the suffering church. But pretty much in every local church in the world, listen, there are people you should hang out with and there are people that you need to stay away from in the church. I learned this early on in my Christian life, 19 years old, brand new Christian, Uh, God, in short time, led me to what was Liberty Baptist College, now Liberty University. And uh, I was so naive. I was so naive. Because here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. I I thought, what a great thing. I'm going to a Christian college. Everybody there's a Christian. And everybody there being a Christian, everybody there's going to be committed to Christ. And I get to Liberty. All incoming freshmen had to take a class called Christian Life taught by a guy named C. Sumner Wimp. He's now with the Lord. But man, he was so dynamic and so uh, just, just, I mean, just being around this guy, you got Jesus bumps. I remember first test. We had to go away and he assigned us some scripture memory verses. 
And we came back to class, and the class met at that time. There were no buildings on Liberty Mountain. It was at Thomas Road Baptist Church in the sanctuary. Hundreds of new freshman students, me being one of them, and C. Sumner Wimp, uh, first to class, you know. He said, take out a piece of paper, put your name on the top right corner, uh, close your Bibles, and write down your memory verses. So I'm all nervous. I close my Bible and I think, can I remember these things? And I started trying to write my memory verses. I couldn't help but notice out of the corner of my eye in the same pew as me, students with their Bible, their Bible's open and they're, they're looking, they're cheating on a Christian life test. They're cheating using the Bible. I was blown Away. I couldn't believe it, but it was happening right before my eyes. My dorm room was on the second floor of a Ramada Inn. It wasn't a nice Ramada Inn. They didn't have any buildings on the mountain. There were, there were dorms all over the city at that time. Mine just happened to be Ramada Inn, second floor. They had a couple of dorm rooms for over, uh, for guys in the bottom floor, but most of it was on the top. And one day, looking over my balcony in the evening, I noticed two guys. I didn't know them personally, but I knew they were Liberty students. They get out of their car, and they're, and they're laughing, and they're joking with one another, and they're just sloshed. I couldn't believe it. And then, I, this is all within the first few weeks of my experience in my first semester at Christian College. I go to my post office box. I got a letter from my mother. I'm so excited. I got a letter from my mother. I opened it and started to read it, and boy, was I shocked. She begins to tell me, my youth pastor back home in Hartsville, South Carolina, a guy, he's, he was so full of charisma, a great speaker. All the kids loved him. I loved him. And he'd just been fired because it was discovered he had several sexual relationships with some students in the youth group and at least two women in the church. I I could have hung up the Christian thing and just walked away. Thank God I survived. And I learned early on there's some people in the church. They're not real Christians. They're not really Christian. And there's some who are Christians and they're not really committed. And they've allowed themselves to be led astray, and now they're leading other people astray. Because when you get involved in the sin that the church of Thyatira got involved in, you can't be involved in sexual sin, not literally, without involving somebody else. It's the longest and most severe of all the letters. Glad you came to church today. Paul the Apostle put it very simply, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, let me hone in specifically on the rebuke for this church. There's the sin of compromise and the compromise in relationships with people who believed in God, but you end up in the bed with them in sexual sin. And the rebuke is not just for the sin. I want you to see that. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. You tolerate. Now, what a, what a word for our culture. Because we're in this culture that says that we ought to, you know, be tolerant. Be careful. Don't get ahead of yourself here. You, 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 oh, be careful. 
Be careful. Because you don't know what I'm going to say. The sin should have been confronted. And like the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul had to write a letter and say, you got somebody in your church and he, he's involved in sexual sin. That's not even something that the pagans, unbelievers naturally practice. He's got his father's wife, obviously not his mother, but his stepmother. And he involved with her. And Paul rebukes them and says, you guys know about this and you haven't done anything about it. Now I want to be absolutely clear. The message to this church of Thyatira, you tolerate that woman Jezebel, you tolerate her. I hear voices. Let me give you some deep theology. Deep, deep. The sin of the church of Pergamum and Thyatira was the same. One difference is God had given time for people in Thyatira to repent, and now they're on the precipice of judgment, whatever that judgment looked like. Death, death to children, it's bad. Whatever it is, it's bad. But here's the deep theology. The teaching that led people astray in Pergamum began years before with a man named Balaam who taught Balak, the king of Moab, how to entice the Israelites with the Moabite women and get them in bed with them. So it was Balaam there. Here in Thyatira, it's a woman named Jezebel. Now you ready for the deep theology? God used Balaam, a man, to lead people astray. And God used Jezebel, a woman, to lead people astray. And some of us may be led astray, and we're a man, and it's a woman leading us astray. Some of us, we're a woman, and it's a man that's leading us astray. And Satan will use anybody he can. In one of the most powerful enticements that he can use because it's a God-given desire. I'm not going to preach on it, but let me at least state and remind us, sex, God created, not hell. God created it. But he created it to be enjoyed in holy matrimony, holy matrimony, One of the things that people don't understand, and I could do a whole message on it, I'm not going to do that, but I have notes on one message just on why sexual sin is sin. Why it's sin. I'll give you the most important one so at least you get a basic understanding as to why it's wrong. Because the marriage relationship is meant to typify the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church, his bride. And the most intimate thing you can do with another human being is have a sexual relationship. You can't do anything more intimate than that with another human being. And technically, we as believers in Jesus Christ have not been on the honeymoon with Jesus. We're technically betrothed, and there's a wedding feast, and we will be physically united with him one day, and we will be with him forever and ever and ever. And that is what the earthly marriage relationship is to typify, and that's what's written very clearly in the book of Ephesians. Paul says, I'm talking to you about Christ and the church, but they tolerated it. 
I told you I'm going to be very clear. If you know of someone in the church, and if you, this is your church, if this is your local church, if this is not your local church, wherever you are and wherever you're planted in your local church, if you know of someone that's a professing Christian that's involved in sin, and what we're dealing with here is compromise and sexual sin, if this is your local church fellowship, I'm going to be very clear. You know of someone, don't call me. Don't email me. Don't write me a note. You know about it. You go to them. You go. And I'm going to save enough time to get this point because we need this. I need this. We need this so bad. When you go. You make sure your heart is right and you go like Jesus would go. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world. And unfortunately in the church, not only do we have people involved in sin, we have Pharisees in the church and we have hypocrites in the church. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I'm speaking as honestly and openly and I know you don't either. What's a Pharisee? A Pharisee is someone who looks good on the outside and and sees good on the outside and when he looks at others who aren't like him, he condemns them and they feel condemned. And when we go to people, Inside and outside of the church, God help us to go with a heart of love that they know when I come to them, I'm coming because I love them. And I know what sin does. And sin never does anybody any favors. Because left to grow, it destroys relationships. It robs you of what God wants you to have. God wants you to have holy matrimony and a blessed marriage. And anything outside of that, you will not be blessed. Sin destroys God's intention. Those Pharisees, those religious hypocrites, they went and got a woman. They said, see, we caught her in the act of adultery. Well, your hypocrisy shines through right away because if you caught her in the act, why did you just bring her? Why didn't you bring him too? And they bring her out and they publicly humiliate her. And yes, she's wrong. And yes, he's an adulterer. And they say, Moses said, this woman should be stoned. What do you say? You know what he did? I'm not going to comment on that. He turns, he turns his back on him. He won't, even, he won't even respond to such a hypocritical question. And finally, when he does respond, here's what he says. Okay, you got Moses. You know, Moses, that's the law. And under the law, by the way, if it was the law, we're all dead. Whoever is without, the, without sin, you cast the first stone. And from the oldest to the youngest, they began to disperse until only Jesus and the woman was left. And he says, woman, and you can see her. She's just crying. I know she's humiliated. And, and she wipes the tears and she says, where are your accusers? And she looks around. And there's nobody there but her and Jesus. It's just her and Jesus now. And she says, they're gone. Here's what, listen to what Jesus says to this woman. Neither do I condemn you. Did you hear that? Neither do I condemn you. I go leave your life of sin. I've come to save you, not to condemn you. I've come to save you from that lifestyle. I've come to save you from that foolishness. God help me. 
God help us that we love people enough that we won't tolerate in the church people involved in this kind of a lifestyle because we're not looking to be Pharisaic. We're not looking to be self-righteous. We're looking to reach in like Jesus did and say, look, I love you. God loves you. I'm not here to condemn you, but I'm here to say it will not end up the way you want it to end up. If you want life and you want peace and you want real love and you want real joy and you want what God has for you, then leave your life of sin and cling to Jesus. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Finally, as I try to shut up, if we're willing to do that, it takes courage. It takes courage. Listen, it takes courage for me. I'm, I'm just like you. I mean, why, I don't want to be bothered with that. You really want to go in so uncomfortable situation and say, I just want to talk to you about your, your situation. I'd rather be at Bush Gardens myself, you know, just hanging out and having fun. But, I mean, if you know somebody like that, what happens when we do? Depends on them, doesn't it? Depends on them. How are they going to respond? They may, they may curse you out. They may say you self-righteous. Look at well, what did you did. If they know you, if you really know them, they go, well, what about all the things you did? And they might be right, yeah, but you repented. But they don't want to hear that. They're thinking about all, you know, you're, they're, gonna, they're just using it. They're using it. So it doesn't give you an out. So we go, and hopefully we go in love. Hopefully we go in love. But we do not know how they're going to respond. But that's not, that's not our issue. We're not responsible for how they respond. Let me leave you with a warm, fuzzy scripture. Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel, chapter 3. And here's a man. Here's a man. You talk about courage. John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist's ministry, he came to prepare the way for the Lord. And his message, he had one string on his prophetic guitar. Repent. It was an easy message for anybody to understand. Repent. And here he comes. And he's not only, not only dealing with people who believed in God and religious uh, Jews, uh, but He's dealing with people in the world. Because here, Luke chapter 3, verse 19. But when John rebuked Herod, King Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, he was in a sexually adulterous relationship with his brother's wife and all the other evil things he did. He not only confronted him, John, you talk about courage, confronted King Herod. King Herod for his adulterous relationship and all the other evil things he did. Herod added this to them all, all that John had to say to him. He locked John up in prison. And John would ultimately lose his head for Jesus. Literally. It takes courage to confront the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel, Elijah ran for his life when Jezebel threatened him. It takes courage. We need men like John the Baptist. We need men like Nathan the prophet who would go before King David. We need women like Esther who will go before the king. And if I perish, I perish. But out of love for my people, I will go. We need people with courage in the church. And our motive, our motive 
our motive must be not to condemn their failure, but to save them from their foolishness. As you continue to study the book of Revelation, you'll see destruction and death, but also the incredible future that awaits you if you're a follower of Jesus. The pictures painted of the throne room of heaven are inspiring and exciting, and you'll one day get to stand where John stood. You'll meet the Lamb of God, who took away your sins. You'll rejoice with the angels and spend eternity getting to know your Creator as He always intended, in perfect love. This is something to cling to as you move through the difficulties of life, and we hope it spurs you on to share the incredible truth of salvation with everyone you meet. Thanks for tuning in today for The Living Word. We'd like to tell you how you can access more teachings from Pastor Danny. All you need to do is visit our website, ccfstpete.church. Click on Sermons to be directed to our YouTube channel, and don't forget to subscribe. That way you'll never miss a new edition of The Living Word. Are you listening in the St. Petersburg area right now? If so, we have a special invitation for you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. Find out more and get directions at ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again right here on The Living Word.